0: Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and
1: systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.
2: Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Todd Buckley and Karen Jolly with the Buckley Jolly real estate team in Brighton, Michigan. Last year, they closed 194 transactions with a total sales volume of $40 million. Their average sales price was 208000 of which 44% were buyers and 56% were sellers. They operate a team with 10 members, one client service manager, two part-time client service administrators, one finance coordinator, three buyer specialists, one listing specialist, and two team leaders. Todd Buckley and Karen Jolly are the team leaders of the Buckley Jolly real estate team. Todd has been an agent for 16 years and Karen for 13 years. Together, they've sold over 1,000 homes. In this call, Todd and Karen talk about a real estate agent partnership that's worked for eight years. How to set up a partnership. Who does what and who gets paid what. What to do when one partner is ready to retire. How to value a real estate practice a real life case study. How to pay the exiting partner over time. The golden key to partnership success mutual respect. How to go from 25 to 40 million in one year. Finding the right team members with a human resource consultant, team core value, daily team huddles, and five dial tracking, profit bonuses to team members, team dynamics and compensation, marketing to your past clients, sphere of influence, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Todd and Karen.
0: Thank you, Mike. Thank you.
2: Before we start talking about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Todd, let's hear from you first.
1: Well, I got into real estate just about nine months after I graduated from college. And prior to that, I had built and designed golf courses, which is what my degree's in.
2: You say you built and designed golf courses before college or after college?
1: Both in college and, and for about nine months outside of college. And so what kind of degree do you get
2: to design golf courses?
1: It's a park planning degree.
2: Karen, what, what did you do before you got into real estate?
0: I was a registered occupational therapist, and I worked um, primarily in hospitals and had a lot of different positions over the years, but mostly part-time while I was raising my two boys.
2: How long have each of you been in the business?
1: I've been in business for 16 years.
0: And I have been in business since 2000, so I'm on my 13th year
1: when
2: each of you got started, did you have a fast start or a slow start? Todd? Uh,
1: I had a very slow start. Uh, I, I got into the business when I was 23. I, I would say, looking back, didn't have the systems and the mentors that, that I needed and didn't have the, just um, probably the goals, the energy that uh, that I needed. And uh, couldn't really see outside the doors of, of the, the office that I was working at as far as what uh, what both my capabilities were and and really where where my business could go, so I really i I floundered for for quite a few years i was uh, I sold my first year in real estate. I made eleven thousand dollars that was a full year in real estate that was uh gross commission income, eleven thousand dollars and then after my sixth year, about six and a half years into it, um, I actually heard of howard Brinton went to one of his, his events and that 's really when uh the light bulb went off for me.
2: For those first 6 years, uh, you said you grossed 11,000 in your first year. How did the next 5 years go?
1: I would say that I was pretty average. I was making anywhere from, you know, 25 to maybe $50,000 GCI a year. So very 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 average, if not below average for those first 6 years.
2: Karen, how about yourself? Did you have a fast start or a slow start?
0: You know, this was a second career for me and I started when my oldest son was in his first year at college. So, I wanted to start fast, and I did the first year i I really focused on educating myself and I only had six sales that year but after that second year, I did um six million total volume and then eleven million the third year and I became one of the top producers in our office very quickly so it it was different, but I think. Part of it was age and really trying to get off to a fast start because I was starting so much later in life.
2: What was the, the driving force there, and, and how did you do it so quickly?
0: I had a need in that I wanted to do something that I really loved, where my first career it really wasn't a passion. And I think I found that in real estate. I know I found that in real estate. So there was that. I had some really good education in my office, and I took advantage of everything that I could get my hands on, um, including hiring a coach in the first year. So I, I just think it was mostly intent. I was very focused in the very beginning.
2: Wow, you said you hired a coach the first year in the business? Mm-hmm. That's unusual. Why did you decide to do that?
0: I, I just, again, it kind of went back to education and trying to just use every tool I had available to me. And I you know went into that first year thinking, I don't care if I, I don't make money this year. My, my goal is to learn as much as I can, as fast as I can. And I think I sacrificed a little bit on the income because I was spending money on educating myself, but in the long term, it was, you know, very beneficial.
1: Really paid off.
0: Yeah.
2: How many homes did you all sell last year?
1: Last year, we sold 196 homes. Do you know your sales volume? We were uh,
2: just over 40 million. You have this partnership put together. Are you married?
1: We are not. Well, not, not to each other but we're both
0: married. And we're still married.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Usually when we talk to a partnership with a man and a woman, they're married. So how did you put together your partnership? How did that come together?
0: Well, we were both working in the same office for the same broker, and we were at the same time growing our businesses very quickly and recognized in each other some of the same work ethic and Values and um, just business knowledge, so we'd started meeting early in the morning to go over scripts and just talk about our businesses in general. and then that led to a discussion about what could we do? Would there be synergy if we would join our businesses and work together? We were identifying and realizing that we had the same business goals and thought that we could do a lot more together than we could individually. Would you agree with that, Todd? I mean, yeah, would I, I would. And, and that? I, no,
1: absolutely. I, I, and I think that um, just to add on to that also is that we also realized that each of us had, had different strengths. And, uh, for instance, Karen's Karen's strength was really doing a great job at connecting with her, with her sphere and her past clients. While I had past clients and, and a lot of past business and that sort of thing, I focused a lot of my time on kind of the marketing end of it. And we recognized that together, we could, uh, if, we, if we combined forces, we felt we could do so much more.
2: How long has your partnership been in existence? Just over eight years. Eight years. Okay, well, that's good. That's, that's a long partnership. Mm-hmm. When you put this partnership together, it sounds like it came together slowly. You first started a relationship, tried to help each other out, and you realized you had some, some uh, complementary strengths, and you tried to put those together. When you decided to actually put it together in a partnership, did you have a formal agreement?
1: I'll be honest. The, the the formal agreement came came years later. It should have been upfront. We had an understanding. We did a lot of research ahead of time with the, with both of our spouses. Um, it was about a, a six to nine month period where we were simply researching it before we before we jumped into it. So, unfortunately, no. We we were bad. We we didn't get it in writing for a couple of years after that.
2: But you had some type of agreement mapped out, at least. Uh Orally you were just chatting about it, you knew what you wanted to do.
1: We did.
0: Yeah, we we did. I mean, I I'm sure we had things on paper, you know, that we had talked about and how we were going to run the business. We had a business plan, we had a budget, all of that, but we didn't put our operating agreement together right away. But when we did, we just did it. It wasn't because there were issues. We just knew that we had to do it. It had always been a goal from the beginning, but You know, you start jumping into your business and you get busy and all of a sudden you're pushing things like that to the back burner. Now we have the operating agreement and we've even taken it a step further. When we first started planning our partnership, we knew up front that I probably was going to be working in the business full time about seven years. There's a difference in our age and I knew that I wanted to start the process of winding down about the same time my husband was going to do that. And so, you know, we talked about that up front too.
2: You put together a formal agreement at some point, but in the beginning, how did you structure this thing and and how did it, how did it finalize? So what was the structure of your arrangement?
1: Well, it's 50-50. We sat down and we said who's mapped out who would be responsible for, for what we had, we had all kinds of um, safety nets, including life insurance policies and, it serve as a, a key man type policy and, and things like that. But um, and we I mean we sat down and had our had our business plan and, and said exactly who was going to be doing what and what what our what our responsibilities were going to be. And we did have we each brought in at the time I had I had one team member, Karen had two team members, so that was interesting too, and coming coming together. Unfortunately, those two of the three didn't last very long with the new with the new change.
2: When you put the Agreement together, did you form it as a partnership, an LLC, a corporation? It's an LLC.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think what people would want to know is how did we divide up the work and the compensation? When we say 50-50, we paid ourselves a salary and we had a budget and we were essentially working about the same amount of time you know, and, and taking the same amount of time off. So we had, that, we had that plan in place of how we were going to do that. So we knew there were expectations that were mutual right from the beginning. I think the only thing that we really lacked was that we didn't have it in writing in a formal agreement.
2: And how did you split up those duties?
1: First of all, we both knew that, that our strengths were um, as listing agents. So she and I were listing agents and then we uh we had a couple admin team members that worked with us and at the time i believe we only had one buyer specialist although we added added some more as time went on and, and certainly you know our our duties have have changed over the years also but we we really sat down and said okay what's what are our strengths who's going to be focusing on on this and strangely we really never had any challenges with that
2: it sounds like you were both listing agents so you didn't split up, say one does sellers and one does buyers, or one does sales and one does administration. Sounds like you were pretty much doing the same task. You were just doubling it up.
1: We we were, and at the time, and we certainly did work with we did work with some buyers at the time when we only had one buyer specialist, and, and we I would say we did more administrative work than we do than we do now. But um, certain parts of the business, um, we you know, we decided you know, I would be focusing. Uh, I would I would lead with with marketing, to our sphere and also to uh, to our people that we hadn't met. And her role would be kind of managing the 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 admin team, and uh, and we at the time we both kind of worked with the the salespeople.
2: Karen, do you have anything to add on those separation of duties?
0: I don't think so. I mean, we you know I think in a partnership, if um, for it to work really well, you have to do your work, put your head down. And that's what we were doing. We were both trying to get listings and build the business and um, just focusing on what we were doing. And if one person was busier than the other person, it it probably was going to flip-flop the next month. And the other person, you know, whoever needed more help, we would pitch in for each other. So, I just think that a partnership can work, but you have to be like-minded in what you want the outcome to be and not focus too much on the details, you know, but the overall picture.
2: It sounds like pretty much then your your model was that you are both rainmakers and you both went out and made the rain. You just decided to, to put a team underneath you that would support both of your efforts in doing that.
0: That's exactly right.
2: Yep. Well, you've been doing this partnership now for eight years. What have been the challenges of running a partnership?
1: I think that probably our biggest challenge was a changing market. Pretty much, we recognize our our market and values started falling about the day after we opened our office, and uh, we <laughs> after after, after it's certainly about three years after that is really when the when the market probably was the hardest hit, hit hardest, and I think that. Certainly, um, like like a marriage, money money would be one of those things that uh, would be a, a, a challenge. And and 2008 was certainly a ended up being a rough rough year for us. We got through it. We came out came out great. But that probably that probably looking back, that probably was our biggest challenge just just getting through tough times. You mentioned
2: money in 2008. Did the business lose money? Did you all have to put money in?
0: Was that an
1: issue? Yeah, we we lost about. that year?
0: (laughs) You don't want to think about those things too much. But we had to do what a lot of agents around the country had to do. And capital was really important at that time. And fortunately, we were able to do that and to hang in there. And I think it probably was the best thing that ever happened to our business because we really tightened up the reins. We looked at what was important. We valued what we had. I think we're so much more grateful about everything that happens, don't you, Todd? Now than we were in the very beginning.
1: Oh yeah, we're we're so much smarter than we than we used to be, and um, and we and we can just always point to 2008 and remember as we start to start getting crazy. If we if we think, oh yeah, we're gonna we'll spend money on this or that sort of thing, or we'll we'll add more people. We just, you know, we, it's great to have 2008 in the back of your mind.
0: And, you know, that's when when you say we're, we're so much smarter. I mean, we started at a real low level <laughs> in the business end. So it's not that we're saying we're really smart right now, but <laughs> it definitely is an improvement over eight years ago. Just a lot of lessons. And isn't that how we learn in life? You know, it's the challenges that help us grow. So I think 2008... I wouldn't ever want to live through it again, but I think it was a really good thing for our business and our partnership. I think, you know, just going through hard times together makes a difference in how you approach everything that you do together in the future.
2: So in those difficult times, it sounds like you had to review your budget, cut back on areas that were not uh, generating revenues. Did you have to cut staff?
0: We did. We cut staff. We cut our budget in half. Uh, over half, I think. Um, we cut back a lot on marketing, not we, not entirely. And that was a challenge, you know, because that's Todd's passion and what he's really good at. And we did a lot of talking about that. What could we keep? What was working the best? And, you know, it it ended up that, you know, it it was fine. And And we look at our marketing and all the money that we spend on things very carefully now.
1: Yeah, so we, we took year, you know, a couple of years off of not doing client events. We really scaled back our TV marketing. We made a lot of changes, and some of them, some of them have held up, and some of them we've, we've brought back. But, um, but again, like Karen said, I'm, I'm certainly thankful for 2008 too.
2: Out of that, did, did you start reviewing your profit and loss more often?
1: Definitely. Hmm.
2: How often do you review it now?
1: Well, we we have a a weekly meeting where we look at um, uh, a lot of things, and and the P&L is one of those where we look at our cash flow. We look at our our five dials, our five most important numbers for our business um, on a weekly basis. So, those every every every, uh, Thursday we do that.
0: And we're not the only ones looking at it. Our spouses are looking at it too, and they've been. You know, I should say they've been very involved in the. Business from the beginning even though they weren't here on a day-to-day basis they would we would meet um, throughout the year the four of us in the evenings and go over things and you know what changes we needed to make and their input was very valuable
2: and so not only did you have to get a meeting of the minds of the two of you but really of the four of you
1: right and, and thankfully our spouses have been have been great throughout the process and Mark, Mark Karen's been, we should, we should mention is a, is a CPA. And, and so it was, a, it was wonderful to have, to have that resource. And, uh, in the last, well, three or four years, my wife, Natalie has, has, uh, been working here on, um, on a part-time basis. And she's, um, certainly has, taken on more responsibilities and, and uh, has, has done a great job. And she, she handles, handles the bookkeeping, and Mark, Mark looks over the numbers also.
0: And, you know, since we're talking about our spouses, I think just like coaching, if you have somebody from the outside looking at what you're doing, if you're bouncing ideas off of them, they just have a different perspective. You may not put everything into practice that they're suggesting, but they definitely, when we were in, in panic mode, i I think they were helping us just see things in a different way and stay calm and kind of move through the challenging years that we had.
2: You mentioned in this this weekly meeting I just want to address it real quick. You said five dials. What does that mean?
1: That was something that um we've had a lot of a lot of great coaches over the years and and uh, our last coach terry had had brought that to us and and it was it, it was just five things that we look at every, every week. And if we're hitting, we know what our, our goals are in these five items. These, those five items include listing appointments, buyer appointments, listing signed purchase agreements and closings. If we know what our goals are in all, all five of those things and if, whether or not we're on track on a weekly basis. So those are, if, if we, know we're, if we look, see that we're off track, maybe two straight weeks, we know we need to focus on, on, say, listings or listing leads, listing appointments. It tells us whether or not we're on track to hit our goals.
2: You all mentioned that your partnership is in transition again. What's happening at this point?
0: You know, I was scaling back last year and then um, I'm kind of, I don't like to say the word retirement because I, I don't feel like I'm retired, <laughs> but I turned 55 this year. And and as I mentioned earlier, you know, we had planned in the beginning that I wasn't going to be working in the business as long as Todd would be. And so this year, I am not doing any sales at all. I'm not working directly with clients. I'm still involved in lead generation. In fact, after this meeting, I'll be going to a networking meeting with some attorneys, and I still love that part of the business. I've always liked the lead generation part of the business. And then I'm um, just involved in the education of the entire team, the sales team and the admin team, and also our success meetings, which we think are are really important for both of us to be involved in those. And those are what a lot of people would call accountability, but we call them success meetings with our team members.
2: What happens in those uh, success meetings?
0: The success meetings, we talk over what their quarterly goals are. So there is a a larger or longer success meeting every quarter where they're setting their goals for the quarter. The sales team has quarterly goals and annual goals. And the admin team has goals too. And they mostly revolve around the systems that they're using in the office and how to improve those. And it's just keeping track how they're doing. We try to use those as a time to give them a pat on the back, encourage them to continue doing a good job, just letting them know that we really care about their success on the team. You know, when the sa- the sales team, they're all independent contractors, like most agents are, and we help them focus on the fact that not all, only are they a team member, but they have their own business too, and we want them to be very successful business people. So, we're talking about their um, sales goals, but also, you know, how their business is doing and what their long-term goals are for their business. Karen, you
2: said that you're, you're starting to wind down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Where do you see that going and how do you think it's going to affect the partnership?
0: Well, we've been preparing for it for a couple years. We've done a lot of training on the team to hand over different responsibilities that I had. One of our administrative team members stepped up and is taking more of a management role with the entire administrative team. And um, we trained last year, we started training one of our buyer specialists to replace me for listings. So, you know, there, there was advanced planning and training going on for about 12 months. And I'm confident that this business is going to do even better after I leave because it's new blood, it's new thinking, new energy. I'm still really excited about the business and I want to be involved, you know, as long as I can be. But it's going to be, you know, a lot less visible hours in the office. But, you know, I'm just a cheerleader for the business. I just want it to be very successful. And, you know, I know Todd's going to do, he's going to do a great job they're already starting off, you know, they have a real good start to 2013. So, I'm not worried about it a bit.
2: Karen, do you have a a set
0: exit date? You know, the exit date was the end of 2012. And now, you know, we had a redemption agreement put in place and I'll be involved in the business more on a contract basis. So, when when I'm helping out, Todd will be paying me on a contract basis. He, he's the owner, but he's redeeming me, you know, my ownership over the next six years. Am I saying that in a good way? I I mean, (laughs) you know, it's kind of, it's kind of new to me, you know, because I've never been in a partnership, but the redemption is happening over six years. And really, he is the head of the business now in the team's eyes. And, you know, he's got the responsibility to keep things moving. And he'll just ask me for help when he needs it. And I'll be there to help.
2: So it sounds like you have a a buyout agreement. You call it a redemption agreement. Was that put in place when you formalized your agreement? Or did you have to negotiate that at this later time?
0: We really started on that about two or three years ago, didn't we? You know, we talked to several different people. We talked to an attorney. We talked to a business person that was experienced in that. And then in the last, uh, in 2012, we just refined it. We're both fair people and we both trust each other. And so it really wasn't, it wasn't a difficult process. It was, that was one of the easier things I think that we did over the last eight years.
2: I don't need to know or want to know the number of what you've decided to do, but I would like to know the process. Could you tell us how you structured your buyout or uh, how you valued the company? Those are the kind of things I'm kind of curious about. I think a lot of people would be curious about.
0: Okay, Todd, help me with this. I mean, you know, we had consultation from experts on this so now we you're going to hear it in layman's terms sort of you know what my understanding is i mean there's capital in the business you know and we had a a deadline date we had a a date of december 31st 2012 where we were going to look at the business see how much capital was in the business And that was part of the redemption. And the other part is goodwill going into the future. That involved looking at what we had done over the first eight years as far as building our brand and the marketing and all of that. And how that was going to play a part in our future business and then also just my continuing to try to bring, be a rainmaker still, even though I'm not here day to day, not getting paid a referral fee, but still sending business into Buckley Jolly. So it it had two parts. Does that make sense, Mike? It does.
2: And any more details you can give would be great. So you looked at the capital, you looked at how much cash or assets you had in the business, you split it in half, and I'm assuming Todd had to pay you that half. Is that correct?
0: Yeah,
1: it was it was pretty close to half. But yes, that's that would be that would be part of it. And then the other the other part, as Karen had mentioned, we looked at we looked at past years and actually the way that the, the formula actually looked at was the last three years in this case and, and weighted weighted the, the previous year higher than the than the than the other years. And and then we just had a a multiple that we, we had um, that we had used in determining value there and um, and that's something that we had we had all talked about years ago, and then we had agreed upon you know different scenarios and and just finalized you know that that number here in the last thirty days.
0: We have some how can I say it if something would happen in the future and um, it would be significantly different than our formula that we had for the past three years. And it became difficult to reach that buyout amount. Then we we have something in place that would handle that. It's kind of a parachute, you know, in case in case the market would really bottom out again, which we don't see that happening. But you know, we do have different checkpoints in place.
2: Let's break this into parts so that everyone listening can, can kind of get a picture and, and if they decide to do this or need to do this down the line, they could have kind of a model. It sounds like one, one part is the valuation of the business and the second part is the payout. Let's talk first about the valuation of the business. You mentioned a multiple. A, a multiple of what and, and what was the multiple?
1: We've used different numbers and we've talked about that over the years. Ultimately, I believe that the multiple was, well, that we ended up using was 2.5, I believe, is what the number was. Mm-hmm. But um, 2.5 of what? Of the, okay. So we take the, for us, we, what we did is we took the, the last three years and we looked at, we looked at our, our profit on the last three years. And we, and we weighted last year's profit times three, two years ago times two, and three years ago times one. Divided those numbers by six to come up with, with an average number would be like an average profit but again last year was weighted we multiply we had a multiple there and and then that's certainly fact that was part of the part of the the, the buyout process the redemption
2: very good now that was very clear i understood that thank you
1: okay yeah sorry <laughs> so that set
2: a number and then you took that number split a half that's how much is going to be paid out was there anything else that went into the formula as far as the valuation portion
1: the capital counts were part of that the capital and then and then this was this we'll call it the other half the goodwill
0: yeah so it's really it's two parts added together to to equal the total
1: because the the cash it the cash itself that's you know that at the end of the year i mean i mean what we could have done is i mean really half of that half of that cash and that we'll call it the capital I mean, we certainly could have just said okay Karen you get Here's, here's half of it, and it, we, we, we could have done that, and then we wouldn't have had to factor the capital, splitting that up over the next, breaking it down over the next six years. We've, we've chosen to, to take it over the next six years.
2: Very good. So if you're looking at a mathematical formula, there's two components. One is the profit with a multiple plus the capital. That gives you your valuation for the business. You cut it in half, and now we have a number, and that number is what will be paid out, correct?
0: Correct.
1: Right. Yeah, so that's X and then X divided by six is what we're looking at per year over the next six years.
2: That was my next question. So now the payout is we take X divide by six. How is that six paid out? Are you paying it monthly, annually? How does that part work?
1: Monthly. Monthly. And as Karen had mentioned, too, she's, you know, she's being, being paid as, uh, as, as a contractor within the business, and, and so her time is also paid.
2: Very good. So really, you're taking you're taking that number and you're dividing by. I'm trying for 72. So you divide by 72, and it's 72 equal payments over six years.
1: That's Correct. right. And actually, mm-hmm. yes. And actually, with with every payment, um, technically, a, a percentage of the of the business is is conveyed. Aha! Uh-huh.
2: And and that's because you got the CPA involved. They had to figure all that out for the IRS. <laughs> 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 right <laughs> and that's good that's good for Karen you could save yeah. some of those taxes yeah. all right well that's fantastic thank you for walking us through that process of how you value people are always asking how they value a practice it's not an easy job as you pointed out it took you years to kind of sort out but you came to a conclusion and I really appreciate you sharing that
1: yeah and again you know, as Karen mentioned thankfully we, we all have the same goals Karen wanted to, to step back. I wanted to, to continue. Certainly, if, if one of us wanted something different, that process would have been more challenging. If you know, want, does someone want said, listen, I'm, I'm sick of you, I want to leave, that, that could have been a much different process.
2: Sure. But Karen's going to stay involved in the company as a contractor and get paid for either a time or, I assume, a project and kind of hang out with you for a while longer. But she has the ability to pull way back and spend time
1: with her husband. And, and other projects that she's taking on, too.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I would just add one thing to that, Mike. It, this is the ideal situation, I think, if you can make it work to um, transition your business because, to another person. Because I think I've heard other people try to sell their business, and it's hard to... Change it over from one agent to another agent, and you have a deadline of when that's going to happen. But having the overlap like this is really good, you know, because I think there's it's just going to go through without a blip, and people will hardly notice if they do notice. You know, the name's going to stay the same, and um, the team is the same, and the systems are the same. So I, I just think there's value to it if if anybody's considering a partnership. To really look at the only thing that we didn't do in advance was more of the on-paper planning. And that would be our only advice is just get it on paper right at the beginning.
2: That brings up a great point. We've been talking internally. How about in the public's eye? I assume you currently advertise both of your pictures, as an example, out to the public.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Karen, will will that be coming down? Will that be reduced? Or will it remain up there? And the public still thinks there's two of you.
0: It's going to stay the same. In fact, I was in here for professional photos with the rest of the team members about three weeks ago, just updating our our photos, you know. So... I don't think, as far as the public is concerned, that they, they will know. And I'm not talking to people. I'm not saying, oh, I'm quitting or I'm retiring, because I'm not. You know, I, I still feel like I'm part of the business, and I was just talking to someone this morning that's thinking about selling his house, and I want him to work with the best team in the county. So that part is going to stay exactly the same.
2: And so what's going to happen in a year when... Karen's past client calls in and says, "Hey, I'm ready to sell my house. Karen, are you going to go out and do that? How's that going to work
0: well i I haven't done that for a while. I mean, I've been transitioning or um, turning sellers over to Todd or Sherry, the other listening agent now for about the last six months and sometimes I'll go on the first appointment with them. And I would do that in the future if there really was a need for it. And I felt like they just had to see me face to face. But, you know, depending on the person in the situation, I'm just saying, you know, that the best person to list your house is Todd or Sherry. And so I'm going to have them come out. And they don't, I, I haven't really had people question that up to this point. I, I'm sure there's going to be some challenges here and there, but yeah
1: and and I think I would build on that, but we had we kind of had a test run in this just because for for a few years um two or three years we'd taken the process mm-hmm. of of working with sellers and broken it up into a traditional sale or a short sale and Karen had had handled all the short sales and I had handled all the traditional sales, so it was very you know it it wasn't it wasn't foreign to us to say you know what if someone called in for me and they were a short sale candidate, you know what, Karen's the Karen's the person that you really need to talk with, even if it was, you know, a great a good friend of mine. So, and Karen had been doing the same thing for traditional sales because, you know, again, a few years ago we had broken up that, broken up that uh, part of the business and decided, you know, we we should be more laser focused.
2: To wrap up this section on partnerships, by the way, thank you for so going into so much detail. Is there any advice that you would give anyone who's thinking about starting a real estate agent partnership?
1: Well, it's, it probably wouldn't work for most people. I mean, w- one thing that we, we needed to do is, and Karen mentioned, you know, that we, need, we, we were like-minded. We had the same work ethic. We had the same, you know, personal goals. And, and I think that faith is a, certainly a big part of that. But, um, you know, you really have to check your ego, too. And, um, and that's, that's been, you know, a big part of just our entire team is that we are just, we're so much better as, as a team than we are individually and understanding that. And, and, you know, if it's unusual to find someone, if we want to call rainmakers to be able to to play nicely with other people. And thankfully, and we've had our ups and downs, but thankfully we've, I think we've done a, a good job with that and understanding that it's not about me and it's not about Karen, it's about the team, it's about our clients. And so just having that humility I think is really important and making sure that, that anyone that you're choosing to work with, taking extra time to really get to know that person because it's a, that's a huge decision.
0: Hmm. I would add to that that it probably would be a good idea to have some other people involved in the partnership. I mean, if you're not married and you don't have a spouse, Then maybe you would want to seek out a coach that would help you work through any challenges that you were having. The other thing is, we said in the beginning, we knew that it was going to be challenging, and we were told that partnerships don't work in real estate. We were, you know, there are a lot of naysayers. But we said to each other that we were going to treat it like a marriage in that we aren't going to just divorce, quote unquote, or break up just over the little stuff. You know, we're going to try to work through things. And as Todd mentioned, I mean, just like any kind of relationship, you're going to have issues that happen from time to time and you have to just work through them and know that you're sticking it out. And gosh, I'm I'm just so glad that we did, that we worked through things when they came up because we have a really good, solid business now. And I think it's because both of us put our heads together and and our talents together and, and worked on it.
2: Would you advise anybody putting the partnership together to put it in writing earlier, or do you think it worked where you kind of let it linger out there and form first?
0: No, do it earlier. You can always make changes down the road. You might not know or think of everything when you first put something in writing, and I think that was partly why we procrastinated on it. I mean, we trusted each other, so that, that was huge. But... You should do it earlier. I I just think it would make it easier. It worked for us, but it it might not work for everybody to wait that long. You know, just get some good people around you—an attorney, a CPA—have them help you work through it, and um, at least get some kind of skeleton of an agreement in writing before you actually take off.
1: And and talk, talk, perhaps you know, do more research about partnerships and talk to other people where it's where it's working for us. because we were 50, 50, it was pretty easy, and as we went on, it was we changed some things, and where Karen worked a little again, worked a little bit less and got more time off. And, and so we were able to work that in a few years afterwards. But you know, when you, I think it would be it's more challenging, too, if someone would come in and, and they would have a majority partnership, you know, if you had someone that was coming in that maybe you had a, a brand new person and, and a, a person that was experienced and had had more cash, more capital. That, that certainly could change things, too. But I, ultimately, it's about, it's about the people and the relationships.
2: You know, you mentioned a couple times that Karen had pulled back her hours earlier. It's, it's been happening for a little while. Did you continue to pay each other the exact same amount in your salaries?
1: No, no. So we, we cut those back proportionately. As Karen, Karen worked a little, a little bit less Over the last few years, she has, I think, you know, where she took three years ago, was three years ago, Karen, mm-hmm. and when mm-hmm. she, where she decided, you know, I'm going to work one less day. And then it was two less days. And, and so, and it was a combination of, of paying herself a little bit, a little bit less. And, and we, we made some adjustments on a kind of time away too, so that, so that we both, we all felt it, it was fair.
2: Yeah, that's important. That's where I've seen a lot of partnerships stumble. So that was pretty smart of y'all to make those adjustments. Another quick question I had, you say you've got this 50-50 partnership, when you set up the formal operating agreement, was there one who was running the business? In other words, who was the tiebreaker?
0: We didn't have one. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know what, I think um, really, you know, Todd talked about different areas of expertise, and if it was a marketing, we needed a tiebreaker on marketing, he... He would listen to me, but he would make the final call on it, and, and um, I, I allowed that. You know, I might state very strongly what I thought, but I knew that he was in charge of it, and same thing for things that I was in charge of. So, you know, that, that kind of talks about the humility part. You just have to let some things go and know that not everything's going to be 100% the way you want it done. But you have to divide things up according to, you know, who's best suited for that particular job.
2: You all started and met each other. You were agents in an office, but you currently—it sounds to me, at least—I uh, got to get this right. You currently run a company. Uh, it sounds like there was a transition there. Is that correct? Did you start and meet each other as agents working for someone else in an office, and then move out and start your own company?
1: We did. Yeah, we met at a different office. Originally, our plan was to combine our teams within that office. Unfortunately, that didn't work out. At the time, we thought it was unfortunate, but it really gave us the push to, um, you know, to start to start our company because we really didn't have any other options. We were committed to, to the partnership and said, even though outside, again, it's, I think it's the, the value in having outside people, friends, and family saying, hey, listen, you guys can do this. Our goal was not to start a real estate company. It was to create a great team. And it just turned out that, it, that for us, it was best to become an independent, which we did. We recognized um, about maybe four or five months into the, the planning process that we were not going to be operating our team within our new team within the current company that we were going to have to, to form a, a not only a, a, new, a new team, but a new real estate office.
2: Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. And that was because your broker wouldn't work with your concept of this joined team, this partnership team? Yeah, I would
1: just say it wasn't it wasn't well received by by a lot of people.
0: A lot of people in the office, you know. I think there I think there was some concern because we were both top producers in that office that it was just going to be too much and too big to work with in the office and there it, it felt what I was hearing or what I was perceiving from the other agents and the brokers that it might affect them negatively.
1: I think there was there simply was 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 fear.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so the the managing broker said, "You cannot make this partnership."
0: He didn't say that. We were just going through a lot of meetings with him, trying to figure out how to make it work. And I think he was getting pressure from the other agents, and so he was kind of caught in the middle. I think he wa- I know he wanted us to stay there, but at least I believed he did but he couldn't he couldn't make it work for all the other agents in the office and for us. So, and it was, you know, in the end it, it was a great move for us to just start on our own.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm confident I'm confident that our business would be in a much different place or we maybe we'd, we wouldn't even be in business if we probably if we would have stayed stayed there. So, it's been it's been it's been a a great push. It was certainly was a blessing.
2: Thank you for uh opening up and sharing your partnership. That that was a rare opportunity and I, I really enjoyed uh, chatting with you about that. Let's move on to a couple other topics so we can get a couple other pictures of your business and what's going on. Uh real quickly, I I understand from 2011 to 2012 you had a real big growth spurt. Uh it looks like you went from 25 million to 40 million in sales volume. What happened?
1: I think that for you know, for the first time we simply had the right people on our team. I mean, it, um, We say it all the time right now. Just, just how blessed we are to have to have just outstanding team members right now, and 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 having certainly having experience and having the systems in place, but not having any turnover and just having the right people that followed our core values. Certainly, you know, the, the market has changed a little bit too. But if I had to point to one thing, I would just say it's just just having the right people here.
0: I agree hmm And we're more experienced, too, at working with the team. We were very green when we started, so that's helped.
2: Did you have the wrong people on the team at one point? Yes. Why did that happen, and how did you figure out they were the wrong people?
0: I think that we were not very good at hiring. As much as we tried to educate ourselves about how to hire the right people, we would go to, you know, trainings on it. We just, it wasn't, our forte for either one of us. So we ended up switching over to a human resource consultant who does all our hiring now, administrative and sales. That has made a difference. I mean, we have the right people now. And the other thing, the other changes that we've had in the last few years, we're doing um, what we call profit bonuses on a quarterly basis. So the team shares in the success of the business and they appreciate that. I know they do. And they're smart people. And they take ownership of their positions and, and what their responsibilities are. And I guess that goes to hiring the right people. I mean, they do better at what they do than either Todd or I would do at what they do.
2: How did you discover you had the wrong people, and how did you have the strength to? Did you eliminate those folks, or did you have to reposition them? What was the problem?
1: You know, certainly we've had we've had people that have that have come and gone and had life changes and that sort of thing that have just you know whether it was an admin team or a sales sales team. We've and we've had good people over the years. It's just we're we're much I would say that we're much better um, now up front finding those finding those people as Karen said, but. Have we've, Sure, we've had difficult decision, decisions to make and had sat down with people and said, this isn't a good fit for you and this isn't a good fit for us. And, and now um, it's very easy for us. And we, we finally, it was one of those things where probably for the first five years in business, we never, put our, we never really sat down and said, okay, these are, this is what we believe. These are our core values. Again, if that was another thing I could start over again, I would say sit down and put your core values, your team, your team values in place so that everyone knows what those are and everyone follows them. Unfortunately, I think what Karen and I, Karen and I knew what our values were, but we didn't really express them to, to everyone, and we thought that everyone understood. But now when we're bringing someone on, one of the processes, um, the pieces in, in bringing someone on is they they actually spend a couple hours sitting for 10 to 15 minutes with each team member. We talk with that team member afterwards, and then they, and we, and we ask them, they, do, how do they, we have them check off a box, do you see this person, how do they fit with our core values, and then any other notes? And, and so everyone, again, I'm being a, a, a dead horse here, but it's, it's, for us, it's communicating those core values and everyone truly believing in them and, and following them and making decisions based on, based on those core values. And looking back, we just didn't have people that followed those same values.
2: What are the core values?
1: Well, um, our, our first one is, is integrity. We do the right thing always. Our second is, is attitude. We're positive team players. Or third is service. We help others with the humble spirit. Next is execution. We're fanatical about getting things done. And last is fun. We enjoy what we do. Pretty, pretty easy, simple stuff. But we, looking back, you recognize that, that people who didn't work out didn't share those, those five values, those five qualities. Maybe they, they are missing one or two of them. But looking, looking around now, we're just so blessed with, uh, with people who follow all of those.
2: Todd, you were able to recite those pretty quickly and easily. Can everybody on the team do that?
1: Well, everyone has it above their computer at their desk, so I think that at the very least they can they can they can rattle off integrity, attitude, service, execution, and fun. But uh, I, I don't, I'm not sure if everyone could could rattle them <laughs> off verbatim.
0: You're gonna call them up, Mike, and ask. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
2: calling up after this call. <laughs> you brought up a couple other interesting points in this. I want to ask about the profit bonuses being paid quarterly. In order to do that, I assume you have to have open book management where you're showing everybody what your P&L is. Is that true? All your team members can see your P&L?
0: We haven't done that. We've talked about it, but we haven't done that. No, the reason we don't call it profit sharing is because it is a bonus. And we look at their contribution and their experience on the team and then the profit of the, the team, three things. And then they're paid that bonus based on those three items. And so, you know, it can be flexible depending on what's been going on with the, the team member. And fortunately, we've been able to give everybody a nice nice bonus every quarter in the last, you know, I don't know, last couple of years, I guess. Did you want to add something to that? Todd? No, I,
1: I think you know, with, you know. Karen kind of touched on it a little bit, but we have different, um, again, just different equations and in, in determining kind of who who gets what. Well. But this, but really, if it, it comes down to if someone's part-time or full-time, if so, how long someone's been with the company, because we we think that if someone's been been with the company longer, that they should. You know, be able to enjoy and, and a little bit more of the profit than someone that just, just started. Someone's eligible for for our profit bonuses after they've been with us for six months. And so, I mean, that's that's actually one of one of my favorite days is to one to walk around and pass out checks because people are just excited about that. And it's not on a set day or anything like that. And, and I, I think that we I, we did struggle with whether or not to have open open book to this, but it, this gives us a little bit of flexibility, even though Karen and I follow a pretty strict formula in what we in what we do but it gives us a little bit of flexibility and yet people we talk about it all the time whether you know hey this month we're profitable we're doing well people people know what's going on although we're not open book
0: and we've never been asked up to this point either so for anybody to look at the books
2: well if you had said it as a percentage of the net profit you would have to disclose it or they could just recalculate it back out since you have these other variables in there It's a little more uh, opaque. Right. Mm -hmm. Let me ask a different question here. You said you have a HR consultant. I'd like to learn more about that. Is this an outside person, an outside firm? Why did you decide to do that? Tell me a little more about this HR consultant.
1: It's a local company that we work with. They'll attract all the candidates, whether it's a sales or administrative role that we're looking to fill. They'll attract the candidates. We hear of any candidates, certainly, because we get... We have a number of people that contact us. We have them talk with them directly. That was, that was good to be able to, to give us some buffer. You know, we had, you know, if, we have, if you have close friends that are saying, hey, listen, I'm, you know, I'd like to come and join your company, it can be tough. It's easy now to say, you know, you need to talk, talk with, with our HR company. They will send your resume to them. They'll talk with you first. They have a couple. They have a phone interview and then an in-person vi- uh, interview. And if, if the person makes it, makes it that far, then they come and meet with us for, for a couple meetings.
2: Do you make the final decision then on who's going to be hired?
1: We y- do.
0: Yes. Mhm.
2: So does this company just reduce the pool down to x number of candidates?
0: Basically, that's what they do, but one person that we work with directly over there will will ask his opinion and we'll we'll ta- the three of us will talk about it together usually before the hires made, but after we've done the interviewing and Um, he's not going to send them through unless he thinks they have potential. So, you know, he's already pretty much in agreement that this person could possibly work on the team. He knows what disc we're looking for, you know, what profile for each of the different positions. He understands that. He knows what our core values are. And we've been working together long enough. It's probably been about, you know, four years or so. He really feels like a team member, even though he's not part of the Buckley Jolly real estate team.
2: So it sounds like he's doing the initial screening process to get you down to the last couple of candidates. Is that correct? Yes. Correct. This is very unusual in our industry. So, how much does it cost to hire one person? What's the big picture total dollar number to have somebody help you in that process?
1: It would vary. And we're gonna spend I would say we spend a little less time on our on our admin team than we do on our sales team. If if I'm gonna throw a number out at you, I'm gonna say probably twelve
0: hundred. I, I think it's more like see, i I might be in a disagreement with him okay. on that. All right, well. I think I because I up to this point I've been more involved um working with him, the HR consultant, but I think it's between fifteen hundred and um, that might be administrative to about Three or four thousand for a salesperson.
2: Okay, so that's a significant investment, but you continue to do it, so it it must be working out.
0: You know, there there's a much higher cost to training somebody and having them not work out after two or three months or even a year. You know, and so the value is absolutely there. It's just it's one of those business decisions. You have to look at the big picture instead of the short term. Ouch, when you get the invoice. So
2: you've seen that these people are more likely to work out and stay longer and contribute more. That have come through this process.
0: They have up to this point. You know, it's, it's worked out really well. Again, you know, we, we were talking about coaches before and mastermind groups that we're involved in. I think getting outside counsel from experts is important if you're going to run a business because you can't know everything about everything. You know, people turn to us to sell their house. They can sell it by owner, but they choose to work with an expert. And we do the same thing. You know, we're business people and we're seeking advice too from things that we may not know enough about or we don't care to learn about because we're too busy doing our own business. You
2: know, we've talked a lot about the team. Could you quickly describe the team for me? And what I'm looking for is. The structure of the team, the the titles and positions, who's on the team, kind of give us a big picture visual of who's on the team.
1: Sure. Well, in addition to uh, to Karen and myself, we have uh, three buyer specialists who uh, who are realtors and simply work with buyers. We have an additional listing specialist, as Karen had mentioned that that person was previously a buyer specialist. We have one client service manager, and uh, she's she's a full time full time admin. And we have two part-time client service administrators who job share that position. And we have uh, one finance coordinator, which is my wife, Natalie, and she works part-time.
2: Why did you do two part-time client service administrators?
1: That job also is is our, our front desk, and we're open seven days a week. So one of those people works on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. The other works Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday.
2: The finance coordinator, what does that mean?
1: My wife, she does all the bookkeeping in the office. She does, uh, does some other short sale administrative tasks and a little bit of, little bit of marketing also. But, but it's, it's, it's the, working the numbers in the office.
2: And the client service manager, what are their tasks? Angela works with
1: our sellers and our buyers, the listing and the closing process.
2: So is she doing contract management? So she takes it from contract to close, or are your agents taking care of that?
1: For the listing, she's taking care of all the details primarily most of the details of the, of the listing process from list to, to closing. For the buyer specialist, she handles some of the, their closing process and and the buyer specialist handles some of their, their process too. We have it all broken down into systems and action plans as far as who's responsible for what.
2: You know, a common question that people have when they're bringing on a buyer agent is, geez, how much do I pay them? Could you tell us how you compensate your buyer agents?
1: Well. That has changed over the years. I think that that's another lesson learned. When we first started our company, we had buyer specialists that, that received a, um, a base salary plus, plus commission. Um, we changed probably two other times where the, the base became smaller and the, and the commission became bigger. But What we found for, for success on our team is that, is that they simply are, are commission-based. And they understand that when they start with us, that they are 100% commission.
2: Are they on a pure 50-50 split? Is it a graduated scale? How does it work?
0: It's a straight 50-50, no matter how many sales they have. Um, Remember, they're getting their profit bonus, too, based on how the whole team is doing. I think that's worked out really well. What, you were going to add something, Todd?
1: I was going to say that's for our buyer specialists. Yeah, that's, that's for a buyer. And we, and we cover, I think it's important to note too, that we cover all their other expenses other than phone, car, and keeping their license. So we, we cover any and all fees for them. So they don't have to worry about supplies or computers or copies or anything, anything like that. We cover everything for them. And you're
2: generating leads.
1: Yeah right. and, that, and they certainly see the value in that that they're they're getting they're getting all the buyer leads that that come in through the company.
2: You've put this other person into a listing specialist position. How does that compensation work?
0: That we are doing at 35%. You know and I'm sure other agents out there understand that you know when you have someone handling a lot of the listing details, she's she's able to do more business with the assistance that she gets from Angela. So she, when she lists and closes, it's 35%. And,
1: and, and quite frankly, we hope that that number's right. As we, we did a little research before setting that up last year, but this is our this is our first time into into that part of the business.
2: Let's talk about your marketing for a little bit. Could you tell us the the top three ways that you generate leads for your business?
1: Our number one source is still sphere referral, past clients. We kind of lump those in together, but we we do still market to those people. So our direct mail, our you know our client appreciation, the things that we do throughout the year, that's still our number one way of getting business, both buyers and sellers. Okay, talking to the people that we know, and it's but it's we we understand that we have even though we might know a lot of people, we have to communicate with with them. Um, to have them both remember, remember us and, and to recommend us. So that's, that's, that's always, that has always been number one for us, and I expect that it will continue to be number one.
2: Let's talk about that. How big is your database of past clients and sphere of influence?
1: We have about 1,200 people that we regularly communicate with. I mean, our, our, our database is probably about 10,000 people that are in there. But, but the people that we feel... We kind of meet, make the cut to, uh, to both mail to and have them, invite them to, uh, to, to events and, and that sort of thing. It's about 1,200.
2: In that 1,200, how many of those are past clients? About 50%. So you have about 600 past clients and about 600 sphere of influence. And those are your, your hot target list. But you also mentioned you have a larger list that includes 10,000. Who's in the 10,000?
1: Well, they, they would just be simply people that we've talked with in the past. I mean, so, you know, if, if we may have talked with someone, you know, seven years ago about selling their home. But they're going to be in our database, even though we had no communication with them. You know, maybe they decide to list with someone else, and then that that, that didn't end up working out for them. We're still going to leave them in our system and, and keep all their information so that if, they, if, if we get in touch with them, if, if they call us back, you know, we have all... All their records, in fact, we are going through that process right now of contacting people that we 've talked with in two thousand and eight and two thousand and nine when the market was challenging, telling them good news, the numbers are much better now than they used to be, and you know would you consider selling at this point because because our biggest challenge in, in our market right now is is inventory lack of inventory
2: two parts of your database. You've got the 1,200. It sounds like you're doing some heavy marketing on them and we're going to go into that. Just to address these other almost 9,000 people, it sounds like you do not market to the 9,000. They're just in there for reference in case you bump into them again. Is that correct? That's right. Let's now go into the marketing to your core group of 1,200 people. How do you stay in touch with them? How often do you try to touch base with them and what do you do throughout the course of a year?
1: We set our marketing plan ahead of time, and the majority of touches that we have are, are mailings. And there's a, there are 12, 15 touches we do as things come up throughout the year. We'll we'll add a couple things, but they are getting mailings. We have a, a pie giveaway at Thanksgiving. We have either one to two client appreciation parties throughout the year that give us a great chance to to be in front of in front of our clients. And then we we try to have. Uh, at least at least one call, usually around the holidays, and, and that's probably the hardest. If I had to, I wish I had more time and more energy to make more phone calls. And in, in addition to that, they they do get various email blasts from us with with information that we have. Like we put out a monthly market video. Occasionally, we'll send them some of our some of our listings, just so they can see the activity and some of the sales that we're that we're generating.
2: Let's go into each of those real quickly. You, you said the mailings. 12 to 15 times a year, what are you mailing out? Do you have a newsletter or are they different postcards or letters? What are you mailing?
1: It's a number of things. We start the year with high-gloss newsletter. It's, it's actually a market report that we do um, every, that's actually in February, just to, to to finalize all the 2012 numbers in the county. So that's that's probably our, our nicest-looking piece. We also do a um, paper either one to two times a year through uh, it's the newsletter that goes out and it's a it's a newspaper type type thing that goes out to those people. And we actually include include some of our farm and, and, and some of these marketing pieces go to a farm too so we can you know, just cut our costs, make sure we're we're using using the same thing. Depending on the market, I, I would say our marketing message changes. So we're making a shift this year to saying to being very direct, saying prices are going up, inventory is low, we'd love to talk with you. Back in 2008, we were saying we were showing results about how we were selling things and when when I think that the uh, perception was that, that no homes were selling. And probably when we first got started, we were you know more kids and puppies and fuzzy type things that we were sending out as far as marketing and, and that sort of thing. It, re- it really depends on, on where the market is as far as what we send out.
0: I would add to that that, you also include in your marketing things that people will keep, right. and that they're magnets of our moving truck, or you do the magnetized sports schedules. We,
1: yeah, we, that's that's true. We we do we do Detroit Tigers, we do the the, the college and, and and NFL football teams. Those type you know items of value that are going to stick in their fridge. That that certainly isn't is important. And then the postcards we're going to show yeah you know, sometimes stats and and that sort of thing we're going this year we're doing we're we're going back to doing a few more kind of giveaway type things to to give thanks to people again but when when the market was was tougher we were showing results and and sales and we're still doing that it's just we're not as focused on that anymore because people have have choices and and they understand that that houses are selling quicker and and we're communicating to those people you know actually the most challenging part in our in our market right now is getting the house to closing. It's getting the house to appraising and the financing through. And so that's, you know, we're, we're trying to show our value in, in that process because at this particular time, it's, it's fairly easy to find a buyer for a house.
2: Isn't that nice to say? Yeah, yeah it is. You've got a couple other things you're doing throughout the year. You've, you've got these mailings going out. You've got a Thanksgiving pie giveaway. You mentioned you had one to two parties. What are those?
1: We've done a lot of different things over the, over the years. This past year, and when we have done quite a few of these, kind of the easiest, most cost-effective one is just just to have a movie day um, at our local our local theater. That typically the the weekend when when a, a popular movie comes out, kids kids type movie, and generally we're looking at anywhere from 275 to 325 people will show up to to that event. That's more of a family event. You know, we've done that quite a few times. Our goal this year is to have. Both an adult, kind of an adult party, and also a a, a family type party. We're actually are talking to uh, to someone, someone right now about having a uh, kind of an outdoor challenge type party where there are zip lines and climbing walls and, and things like that. Um, and although that's not finalized yet, that's that's something that we're looking at. We've done casino nights, we've done picnics, we've done you know wine and beer tasting. We've taken a couple hundred people to Detroit Tigers games where we, you know, fed them first and then and then sat in in the in seats together. So we've done a lot of things.
2: Sounds like you try to rotate or change those events.
1: Yeah, and I and I think that we try to find the things that are that are that have the best re- what we think are the best return on investment. You know, it's that people have so many things to do and I think that what well, we always we always come back to is okay, what would be something unique that someone would feel like this is Something that they want to come to versus an obligation, because everyone has enough obligations. That's the last thing we want is our clients to feel like, geez, you know what? We should really go and stop by Buckley Jolly's party. <laughs> they invited us.
2: Yeah. Instead, you want them excited about it. Totally. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. The, another thing that we're looking at this year is we have a we have a brand new brew pub that's opening up, and we're we're trying to work it out with the owner that we have the, the first week that it opens with, that we can have a private party in there. So that's something that that would be a nice adult adult type event. It's some, something unique. I mean, if it's, if it's simply, at least this is my opinion, if it's simply, hey, come and join us for dinner, I don't know if that's unique enough for someone to take time out of their busy, their busy lives.
2: You also mentioned this holiday call. Tell me more about that. Well,
1: I think that, you know, it's for, for myself, for, for a lot of our team members, the biggest challenge is, is simply having a reason to call people. And, and there's nothing easier than calling sometime between, between Thanksgiving and, and Christmas and saying, hey, I was thinking of you, just want to wish you guys Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. And you can have great conversations based on, based on that call. For me personally, I, um, I've, I've tried cold calling. It's not my strength. And it certainly isn't cold calling when you're calling a past client. It's warm calling. But for me, and I know many others who are f- fantastic Many other people you've interviewed that are fantastic at having those conversations, that's not my strength. So, for, for me and our team, we, we, um, we make, those, make those calls where people aren't wondering, geez, why is, why is this person calling me? And so it, it works for us just to call around the holidays.
2: Do I understand correctly then that you do not make a formal call or a structured or scheduled call throughout the year other than that holiday call? The rest of your contacts are happening through either mail or email or these events.
1: That would be that would be accurate. Yes. Yeah.
0: yeah, for the most part. I think there are times when we might check in with somebody for one reason or another. I mean, you know, ha- like we are we track birthdays, and we'll either send them a card or sometimes if it's somebody that I want to talk to, I'll I'll call them and say happy birthday. So there there are other opportunities, but it isn't something that we have scheduled into our calendars. We probably should,
1: Mike. but We don't. <laughs> That's okay. Don't follow our example. <laughs> <laughs> well, why what not? Saying. It's working. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, but it, the times are different, and the communication is different. I I still think phone calls are extremely valuable, and they have uh, more impact than an email or something. But I, there are also other pe- there are people out there that will be more irritated by interruptions to their day than others. And I think it's just knowing who those people are. And that, you know, falls into the category of, you know, what kind of personality is this person? So you have to kind of tailor it to your contact or your lead.
2: I want to ask about this email blast, this monthly marketing video. What is that?
1: What's something we've been doing for, I don't know, maybe two or three years now where we... Um... Originally, it's it, it started out as simply an, an email that we would send out to people, with just just giving the the uh, the stats and what's happening in the market, and and it turned into a video. After after that, it's it's only three to four minutes long. It's it's tells tells our you know people that you know, our clients, our database, anyone who sees it, who's looking at it in our in our county, what's going on with real estate in our county very quickly. How uh, does it compare to last year at this same time? what's going on with number of listings on the market and sales and bank owns and short sales and a number of things that we touch on. Just a quick, a quick look at what's happening in the market.
0: And I would add to that that in the beginning, you were giving that kind of information to our sellers to keep them updated because when we had you know 80 listings back when the market was much slower, it was a way to keep them all informed about what was going on and letting them know that we you know, we're working on it. But it became a really useful tool to give to buyers to let them know about the market and to potential sellers. So eventually we started sending it out as an email blast to a much larger group.
2: I'm trying to visualize what it looks like. Is it one or both of you sitting in front of the camera talking? Are you showing a screenshot on a computer? What is in the video as far as the visual?
1: It's usually me, although Karen's been in a few too. It's usually me talking, and then we also have have various slides that we're putting up to uh, accentuate our points that we're making.
0: People could go to our website and look at those videos. There's, you know, a lot. Um, they're they're all there on the website.
1: And and they're they're not they're not fancy. They're they're on YouTube too. They're not fancy. They're just they're quick. We have we have someone that works on those on those for us. You know the goal is to try to get them get the information out as soon as possible after after it's it's released. we We receive the stats from our from our MLS, and then we go in and we we actually do a little more research and then put that information together.
0: You know, you're saying that it's not real elaborate, Todd, but it, it's the simplicity of it that I think is good. It's not corny, it's not real frilly or anything. It's just good information, good facts.
2: Do you have a call to action in there at the end to do something that they should call you if they want to move forward, or is it just purely informational?
1: Well, it, at the end, we do say if they if if they have any questions, and we certainly give our telephone number and and our email on. And it, but there's some of them we do have call to action on, but regularly, no, not not really. I mean it's it's mostly it's mostly informational. Certainly, we have our information there for them to contact us. Though,
2: so. do you have stats on what percentage of your list is opening it up and watching it?
1: yeah so we can track on on our on our website as far as how many people click on it and also on on YouTube obviously you can see how many people have how many people are are looking at it it depends it really depends on throughout throughout the year but I mean typically we're you know we're looking at you know maybe a hundred something like that every every month that's that's clicking on it, which i think is a is a fine number
2: Todd, I understand that you're a big proponent of using Facebook is that true <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: funny uh no i would i would not say that that was true no i i am i have i have come kicking and screaming for anything facebook twitter related and um that's not to say that it it um it probably it probably works well for a lot of people it's just not something that i've i've focused on
2: and so do you have a facebook account
1: a personal one no i
2: do not do you have a team account or a Facebook fan page. We have an office. Yes, we mm-hmm. do. But it sounds like you don't spend a lot of time on it.
0: Uh, I do not. No, he doesn't. But we, we have one, um, one of our admin team members. She's actually the youngest person on the team, of course, You know, is kind of in charge in sending out reminders for people on the team to submit something to put on Facebook. And I think we're posting two to three times a week now.
1: And, and I wouldn't describe myself as anti anti tech. I'm not. I'm not at all. I love. I actually love love toys. It's just something that I have not. I have not embraced.
0: You have to be passionate about what you do, or you won't do a good job at it. I think that's what he's saying.
1: <laughs> Todd, what drives
2: you?
0: You know, I, I
1: think it's just it's just simply wanting to do a, a, a good job. Certainly, I mean, I would say that building building a team and having great, great people, that's a big part of it too. And helping, helping those people on the team and our clients have unbelievable experiences. And I mean, it, that, that's, that's huge too. But um, I, I'm not going to say that, I would not say that money certainly is, is number one by any means. We like to be compensated for what we do, but it's just, it's simply just knowing that you did a good job more than anything for me.
2: Karen, how about you? What drives you?
0: Well, I think at this point in my life, I love helping people accomplish what their goals are and what they want to do. And that I become more passionate about that. I love watching people succeed at things and somehow being involved in that process. So that would be my number one passion right now.
1: Todd, why are you successful? I, I would say because I have we we have been able to surround ourselves with amazing people that share that share our same values.
0: He's got a really good work ethic, and um, very honest. has a lot of integrity, and that has set him apart from others in the community. I'm not saying that they're not, but I you know he's respected in the community, and that has contributed to the success of the company.
2: Karen, why have you been successful?
0: <laughs> I'm a hard worker too. I mean, when it comes down to it, we both uh, put our heads down and work really hard. And so that has made a huge difference. You know, he mentioned the team in a course that can be like night and day, a good team versus a team that isn't cohesive and working together well um it's a combination of a lot of different things
1: yeah uh, you Karen mentioned she's a she's a hard worker and 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 that's it, that that's true i mean there there are times when you know it's not unusual to see see both of us working you know very late or coming here in, in very very early and um you know, she, Karen does a does an outstanding job at really focusing on on the the team members. And, and listening to them and answering, answering questions. And, um, and that's certainly a, a, a void that, I'm, that right now that we have with Karen stepping out a little bit. And that's, that's something that I need to start focusing on more too. But she does a great job with, with just, just simply being there for, for the team.
2: You know, as we've been going through this interview, I keep writing down the same two words to describe you. I keep writing down mutual respect. You have mutual respect for each other. We do. Mm-hmm. Todd, if you were to advise a brand new agent just getting into business, what would you tell them to do first?
1: You know, Karen touched on it earlier. It's simply become educated. Treat your real estate career as a business and not a sales job. If it's a sales job, it's, it's not going to work out well. If I could go back and, and talk to me at age 23, I, that's what I would say is, is just dive into as, as much information, as much education as you can receive and, and really treat it like a business. Very good. Karen?
0: Well, I second that, what he just said. And then I would add, you know, getting a coach or being in a mastermind group will definitely help in your success. Treating cash is king, you know, not getting into debt. Pay yourself a salary, get your finances in order. You know, there are a lot of things that you could talk about. And then what I had touched on earlier about, you know, seek consultation from experts. You know, whether it's coaching, whether it's an accountant, whatever, I I just think there's so much value in that. And you don't even have to pay for it. There are people out there that are willing to talk to you, even take them out to lunch. Get their perspective of what you're doing in your business. That would be my my advice.
2: Todd, do you think the top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with mastermind agent are valuable?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, 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 um, I, I commend you for taking the time to do this because it's things like this that certainly helped me. I have, have my aha moment after six years in business thinking, wow, this isn't, I thought that was, that was all there was. And it was being able to, to see successful people, throughout the country and, and learn. I mean, I, I, we, we learned so much listening to, to your interviews and to things like this, to getting out there and, and meet and just communicating with, with agents throughout the country. It's, it's invaluable. Karen?
0: Mike, you know, there's a proverb that says that a wise man seeks many advisors. And I think that <laughs> that supports what you're doing, you know, putting different, you know, heads together and different minds together to be the best you can be is a great way to go. And it's fun. I've come to the
2: end of my questions for today. Is there anything else you all would like to talk about that we haven't addressed yet?
0: You know, one thing that we didn't talk about, Mike, every day we have a a huddle. And I know other teams do this. This has really been a great way to connect with the team members in the morning. We meet at 930. It takes about 5 to 10 minutes. We go through our 10s from the previous day, you know, the positive things that happened. We do quick updates, new listings, challenges, anything that people want to talk about. And the team members really value that. If they miss it, they want to know what was discussed at huddle. The other thing that we do, I think, that has worked really well is we send out email gongs, G-O-N-G-S. And it, the reason we call it that is because we, had a, we have a gong in the office, and when something really fantastic happened, you know, we would hit the gong, but then we realized it was noisy when people were on the phone. So um, we, we started sending out email gongs, and we'll just tell the client care administrator at the front desk that we'd like to send out a gong every time there is a purchase agreement put together, a closing, who was you know, who was responsible for that closing, or anything else, you know, that might have happened. Like somebody in our office got their ABR designation. So they sent out an email gong saying, you know, Ken Ken is now an ABR. So I just think again that's a way to remind people throughout the day we're all cheering for each other. Todd,
2: did you have anything else to
0: add?
1: We touched briefly I thought we touched briefly on, on just knowing knowing the numbers and tracking them and, and we talked about our our five dials and, and I think that that's that's something that well I know we've been doing that for about three years now, and if I had to go back, I certainly would would focus on on spending more time on on making sure that we are on track and knowing knowing our numbers and knowing. How, how many how many leads it takes to get to an appointment and appointments to listings and listings to purchase agreements and purchase agreements to closings and understanding understanding those ratios and and knowing and knowing if we're off track and and, and being able to now do that once a week i, I think is is so important and, um, and and also following our other numbers but if i if i had to if I had to simply look at at five things i wouldn't i believe it or not I wouldn't even look at the at the the p and l I, I could look at the P&L once a month. If I, if I know the five dials every week look great, you know, I, I'm not going to be worried. I think that's, that's really important. Just understanding, you know, what, what those numbers are for, for you as an agent. I would imagine that probably most of them would be the same as what we use, but understanding what are the numbers that drive your business.
0: And, you know, we were just sharing that with each other in the beginning, but now that report is sent out to the entire team every week, so they see it too. And they'll, they'll gong it. If, it's, if the numbers are good, they'll, you know, sort of high-five each other. Well, Todd and
2: Karen, you've built an amazingly successful partnership. You held it together through tough times. You're not afraid to seek the advice of advisors you both know how to put your head down and work hard and the results show you've dialed in your operation and increased your sales volume by 60% last year your team shares your core values and vision and it all comes back to the basis of your partnership mutual respect your partnership is a model for success thank you again for being our top agent of the month and join us next call when we talk to an agent who consistently sells 100 homes per year in good times and bad find out who he is on the next success call if you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out click the subscribe button on itunes or stitcher and if you want to hear more episodes like this give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment